Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. Morning, Crosswalk. I heard Vince. Morning, Vince. (laughs) He's in my growth group. (laughs) I know that. Good morning. A welcome to everyone here, especially the guests with us today. We have been planning for you to come, guests, for the last two months. And we wanted to come up with ways that we could let you know that you are welcome. And I hope you noticed some of them. One of them is the, the refreshments we have out, the coffee, donuts, fresh fruit, all of that. It's for you. So make sure as you, you leave today that you take advantage, stay around for a while and talk. Another thing we have for you is a, a gift for first-time guests with us today. Uh, that can be found at the Resource Center. There's little gift bags and uh, very helpful uh, young ladies who will help uh, get that gift to you. And the final thing that you probably notice walking in is the photo booth thing. And that also is for you. And some of it, uh, like our family picture was a little goofy. Some are a little more serious. But uh, whatever you would like, it is Just little ways that we try to make you feel comfortable so you know that Crosswalk is a place for you and definitely that that we, along with our Savior Jesus Christ, love and care about you very much. So thank you for taking that step and joining us today. And as we worship, this is is Easter. This is the, the big deal for us. And one of the things, kind of a secret about me, I guess maybe not that big a secret, is... I like to tell people about Jesus, but I like to hear about Jesus too. And for that reason, I get to do that when when Pastor Jeff preaches, which is great. But I remember specifically about 10 years ago when I I was pastor at another church, and and we only had one Easter service at 10 o'clock in the morning. And so what, what I did is I got up early. I usually get up early and would walk my dog. And after I walked the dog, came back, I I decided I was going to watch some TV and and watch, maybe catch a sermon on TV, a message, uh, before I went and and would go preach. And I'll never forget that that day and that service because I I turned it on and there was a, a pastor who was just about to begin his message. And he began by saying this. He said, Jesus would roll over in his grave if he knew how many people thought he was alive. I was like, are you kidding me? Jesus would roll over in his grave if he knew how many people thought he was alive? And then the pastor's message went on from there. The theme of his message was, Jesus is alive, but only if he's alive in your heart. I thought, oh my goodness, what a horrible, horrible Easter message. That, that Jesus isn't alive. But, but as we come here to worship today, we're here to celebrate Jesus rising from the dead. But I also know enough about people that I talk to that, that as people come as guests, that they have questions about that. And, and maybe even people who are members here have questions about that. And the reason, the reason why I think that is that last Sunday in confirmation class, one of the, one of the kids said, Pastor, I, I have a question, and I, 
I need to preface this question by saying, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus and, and everything like that, but did you ever think that maybe the guys who wrote the Bible were just making it up? Do you ever think maybe it, would, it was like a joke, that, that it was some kind of a hoax they were trying to pull? And, and that maybe it, it wasn't true. And since in confirmation class, and nowhere else usually in life either, I, I never penalize honesty. That he's just being honest. That he said, you know what, I've thought about that before. What, that what if it's not true? That, that we went in and we discussed it. And, and then earlier this week, that I went to see a couple who had been struggling, and the guy, again, was honest with me, and he said, I don't even know if there's a God. I, I don't even know that he exists. And the reason why is because I, I look at things I would do if I were God, and God's not doing them, which sometimes just makes me, I don't know, question and wonder. Well, this morning, as we begin, I want to give you permission to have questions and to truly be honest about this resurrection and the celebration of Easter. And the reason why I do that and the reason why I say that is because of a reading that we're going to start with from the Apostle Paul was writing to a church in Corinth. And he, was, he wrote what's called the resurrection chapter of the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians. It's from the letter he wrote to them, chapter 15, where he lays out the entire re- resurrection. But one of the things he does is he, he kind of gets this feeling like there's questions about it, that they, they really don't understand it and because they're like you and me. I, you know, I've been probably in 20 years as a pastor, I've been to maybe 100 funerals, and out of the 100 no one has come back from the dead at the funeral. Which means this whole idea of a resurrection is something that's, that's not natural and it's not normal. And so this is what he wrote to the Corinthians. He said, those of you who question, and he kind of added fuel to the fire by saying, if you don't believe in the resurrection, think about this. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And and what he was showing in this is that, you know, as you have questions of the resurrection, understand that, that everything in Christianity rests on this. That this is the most single important event in the history of the Christian church. And so in, in the blank you can write, the stakes are high for the Easter message. This is really important stuff. And again, one other reason as we look at questioning and, and needing to process this message goes all the way back to the first Easter. And it was on that first Easter, after one of the disciples had killed himself, Judas, another of the disciples, Thomas, wasn't there. Ten of them on that first Easter were locked in an upper room because they were afraid of the Jews. 
And they didn't know if this was really true and and this had really happened. And so what God did, because he is a God of love, is he kind of dripped the Easter message to them. That it started out at sunrise. And, and, And... it was there that the, the Roman guards, those semen, seasoned Roman veterans who were guarding the tomb, remember Pilate was the one who said, make that tomb as secure as you know how. So he took the soldiers and he put the seal on the stone, which meant that if you were going to move this stone, you were going to deal with the Roman government. And there was an earthquake and, and the angel rolled the stone away. And so the, the first rumblings of Easter and, and, and the first rumblings of the resurrection came from those guards as, as they were running away from that tomb, afraid, not knowing exactly what happened. And so word would have started to spread. And then the women, the women on their way to the tomb, and, and understand, they were expecting to find the dead body of Jesus. They were bringing spices. They wanted to show their last respects to him. And when they got to that tomb, and the stone was rolled away, and they went inside, the body of Jesus was gone. And angels appeared to them and said, He is not here. He is risen. And so they went, they ran away, and and they went to tell the disciples everything that had happened. Then it was Mary who went there, and she was Mary Magdalene who was crying and and just wanted to find the body of Jesus. And there we have the first appearance of Jesus when he said to her, Mary. She said, Rabboni, which means rabbi. She recognized Jesus was alive. And then later, Peter and John ran to the tomb. And I think of it like me and Phil Bischoff running to the tomb. John got there first because he was younger and he did CrossFit and he was in better shape. But he was too scared to go inside, so he waited for Peter to come chugging along. And then he looked inside and the same thing. They, it, was, it was gone. The body of Jesus was gone. That as you, as you look at all of these things and the witnesses, there was no argument that the body was gone. There was no argument that as the soldiers ran away that, that something miraculous had happened. And then later that day, two other disciples, two other followers of Jesus on their way to Emmaus, had a stranger come and walk with them and explain from the Old Testament why the Christ had to suffer. And they were kept from recognizing Jesus until they got to the place where they were going. And they said, were our hearts not burning when he explained to us everything about the Christ? So they ran back to Jerusalem. And, and back in Jerusalem where those ten were, were still locked, even, even after all of this evidence and, and all of this information coming in, Jesus appeared to them and said, Peace be with you. And he breathed on them and and gave them his Holy Spirit. It's crazy. And so individuals who had doubts were given evidence. And, And then over the next 40 days, over 500 people were witnesses of Christ's resurrection. What do you think? Do you... In this room today, maybe 175 people. If I committed a crime in front of all of you, and you were all witnesses of it, do you think I could be maybe put in jail for that crime with that many witnesses? 500 of them telling us, telling you. 
Jesus is alive. And then possibly the most compelling to me is that of those apostles, of those disciples, those original followers of Jesus, the 11, 10 of them died martyrs' deaths because they refused to say that Jesus was not alive. They said, no, Jesus is alive, and we are willing to give our lives for that truth. And then John was given life in prison. Those are not 11 men who are hiding in an upper room because they're afraid anymore. Because the resurrection is a reality. The resurrection is a truth. We have these witnesses. And now, not only do we have that, but the teachings of Jesus Christ himself, which further prove the truth of who he is and the fact that he is alive. Pastor Jeff's going to share some of that with us right now. Pastor Dan gave us permission to have doubts about something as odd-sounding, maybe even ridiculous-sounding to us as the resurrection. And I'm going to actually take it a a step further. I'm going to say it's actually reasonable to have doubts about the resurrection and about Jesus himself. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that today is not just a celebration of the resurrection of Christ, not just Easter, but it's also the grand finale of a series that we've been doing called Bulletproof Identity. How to be absolutely sure about who you are. And the premise of this entire series has been to look at claims that Jesus made about himself. And, and to evaluate those claims and then to say, if we, if we know who Jesus is, we can be way more certain and confident about who we are based on who he is. And I want to remind you of some of the claims that Jesus has made that we studied over the last. If you think the resurrection sounds ridiculous, shocking, surprising, almost unbelievable, you're not alone. And now we're going to look at claims. You see, this whole message about Jesus Christ is actually so surprising, so shocking, that even the Apostle Paul, the the same one that wrote this passage from 1 Corinthians 15 that Pastor Dan read earlier, when he was writing that letter to the Corinthians, do you know how he started it? He starts that letter by saying, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And you know what? To the reasonable person, this is going to sound like foolishness. And boy, you have to realize who Paul was writing to as an apostle. These Corinthians were Greeks. And Greeks Greeks are the ancestors of our Western civilization and its basis in reason and logic. You've heard the names Aristotle, Socrates... Greece is the birthplace of reason and logic. And Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, all right, for those of you who are reasonable and logical, what I'm about to present to you, Corinthians, it's going to sound foolish to you. I'm just going to admit that up front. You have permission and you should know that this 
can sound foolish. And not just on the basis of the resurrection, as critical and central as that is to the Christian faith, but also based on the claims and the promises of Jesus Christ. Let's go back through some of the claims that Jesus has made to us right here at Crosswalk in the last six weeks. I I wrote them down, all six of them. And have you really considered exactly what Jesus is saying here? Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. You know what Jesus is saying? I am the one that can satisfy your needs. You no longer have to have your identity built upon crazy desires and appetites that you have in life. All the time here at Crosswalk, we talk about hurts and habits and hang-ups and how we can begin to identify ourselves from our addictions and our needs And that message was all about, now we get to stop doing that because Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He's the one who satisfies our appetites. Now think about that. That is a major surprising claim that Jesus makes about who he is. Look at the next one. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. With that, Jesus is saying, there's no longer any need for you to wander around in darkness. The darkness of the soul that leads to depression. The darkness of of emotions that leads to you walking around like Linus with a cloud over your head all the time. The spiritual darkness of sin that separates you from God because you now have the one who is the light of the world. The one who lifts depression and the one who gives spiritual light into a sin-darkened world. That's quite a claim. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If anyone in this room has ever thought to himself, I don't know if I matter to anyone. I, I don't, I think, I, to be honest, if someone were to ask me, my answer is, I'm worthless. I, I have no value. There are people going through life feeling that about themselves. And to those people, Jesus says, I value you so much that I will willingly lay down my life for you. That's how much I value you. That's how much I love you. That's how much you personally matter to me. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered to me. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Some of you in this room have grown up without parents. Not having parents who are active in your life, or maybe having parents, but parents that sort of beat you down. You wonder who you are. You you missed having an active and positive relationship with a dad. And Jesus says to you, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And and by that, I mean, I'm the way to the Father, the Heavenly Father. You can have a relationship, and not just with an earthly dad or an earthly parent, but with the Heavenly Father. I'm the way to that relationship so that you can know who you are, a dearly loved child. Not a child of Bob or a child of Sue, but a child of God. 
bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is who you are. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He is the way to that relationship with the Father. We talked last week, Pastor Dan talked about the importance of connection in our world and how many of us determine our identity by how many people we're connected to or the quality of the connections that we have in our life, connections with our family, connections with our friends, through technology. How many friends do I have on Facebook? And we, and we, we think we can answer the question of who am I based on the number and quality of our connections. And Jesus says, let me, let me change your mind about that. I want to give you a connection that will allow you to live a life that is wonderful and purposeful and filled with peace and at the same time filled with courage. I'm the vine. And you, you are the branches. Connect with me. And if you remain in me, if we stay connected to each other, and I in you, You will bear much fruit. You're going to live a life that is filled with purpose and meaning and good. But remember this, Jesus says, and I want you to think about this claim. Because this is an astounding claim that Jesus is making. Apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. Do you see why I say it would be easy? I was once a skeptic myself. Those of you who've been here to church for for any amount of time have heard me tell my stories about growing up in a family that was not a Christian family, not having parents myself that taught me about Jesus or taught me about the claims and the promises of Jesus or the resurrection. And, And I'll tell you, I had my doubts. And... And if you think about what Jesus is saying, wow, it is shocking. It can, as the Apostle Paul, sound like foolishness. And look at that very last one. Jesus said to her, this is Martha now, and I'll explain that in just a minute. I am the resurrection and the life. Not just I have the resurrection. I have life to give you, but I embody resurrection and life. I am resurrection and life. If you want to think anything about getting from this life into the one to come, I'm the one to come too, because I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is saying to to us, "I, I want you to be absolutely certain through a relationship with me, about your eternal destiny. Because the more certain you are about your eternal destiny, the more certain you're going to be, the more bulletproof you're going to be in knowing who you are and your identity. Here's what I want you to write down. If Jesus lives, not only is the resurrection true, everything he claimed to be, he is. When I was a skeptic, when I struggled with my questions and doubts, there was a wonderful family who would every Sunday listen to my doubts, hear out my questions. And this went on for months. Actually, it went on for years. Before I became a Christian. 
And as I, as I spoke those doubts, I, I got to tell you, I, I really, I think I understood, and I'm thinking that there are people in this room today who understood, as I did at that time, that, that really you can't call Jesus simply a good man. It's, it's not possible to say that Jesus was simply a good man. Because once you hear that he claimed all these things, look at that. I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life. I'm the way, the truth. I'm not going through all of them again. But do you hear the grandiose nature of those claims? So so what is Jesus? Either Jesus is completely delusional, a crazy person, number one, or Jesus is a very powerful liar and a cult leader who got a lot of people to follow him through his lies, which he told apparently purposefully, which I don't think makes him a good person, or he is who he claims to be, the Son of God and the Savior of all mankind. Brothers and sisters, those are our three choices. Delusional crazy man, lying leader of a cult, or Son of God and Savior of all mankind. Those are the choices that we have at our disposal. And over time, I came to realize through the the patient ministry of this wonderful, loving family and, of course, the power of the Holy Spirit as it worked through the Word of God, that for me, and I hope for you, the only option can be the third one. That these claims, as fantastic and as maybe even foolish as they sound, are real. Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of all mankind. And every one of these claims he made about himself is not fantastic because it is true. And it is fantastic because it's real. You see, even here as he's talking with a young woman named Martha. You know Martha, perhaps, if you've heard the story before of Mary and Martha, two sisters. Martha, the one who is always busy running around, actually gets frustrated with her sister Mary because Mary sits at Jesus' feet listening to him while Martha is cooking and washing dishes and yells at Mary and says, "What?" and even Jesus, she yells at Jesus, aren't you going to make her come up and help me? Mary and Martha had a brother. Mary and Martha's brother was actually one of Jesus' closest friends. And his name was Lazarus. And the account in the Bible tells us that Lazarus dies. And Mary and Martha, of course, are mourning. A lot of friends are there. The report comes to Jesus, but Jesus sort of sits on his hands for a few days. He doesn't go rushing right to Lazarus. By the time he gets there, Martha hears that he's nearby, and so she comes out to meet him. And the very first words out of her mouth are, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Don't, that's your friend. You can tell that she knows Jesus 
had the power to prevent her brother Lazarus from dying. She had seen the miracles. And that's when Jesus says these words in John eleven twenty five, some of which we read already. Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he goes on and he says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Remember I said Jesus made ridiculous sounding claims about who he is? Look at those words. Is that not a ridiculous sounding promise? Who of us, as Pastor Dan said earlier, has ever seen someone rise from their grave? And yet Jesus is promising you, if you believe in me, I promise you, you will one day rise from your grave and be alive again after you have died. When Jesus made big promises of that nature, he had an M.O. You know what an M.O. is, right? We usually hear about an M.O. when there's a criminal. It stands for Latin, modus operandi, a way of doing things. Jesus' M.O. was not a criminal M.O. Jesus' M.O. was a Savior's M.O. To illustrate how Jesus worked, When he made big promises, I want to take you back to Luke chapter 5. There was a a man who had been paralyzed. And his friends are carrying him on this litter, trying to get him to Jesus so that Jesus can touch him and heal him. They know that Jesus has the power. They've seen him heal the blind, make deaf people hear, cause people to stand up who were lame and paralyzed. And so they're trying to get to Jesus. And the crowd is so thick around this house where Jesus is that they can't, they can find no way to worm their way in. So they actually, I don't know how they do this Crowd surf? I'm not sure, but they get on the roof of the house with this litter and peel back the roof of the house and drop this guy down, I guess with some ropes, right in front of Jesus. And the request is pretty clear. Jesus, will you heal our friend? And this is where we see the MO of Jesus. He makes a big promise. You know what the first words out of Jesus' mouth are? To the man lying on the litter, friend, your sins are forgiven. What? Not you're healed? Not pick up your bed here and go home? Those are not Jesus' words, at least not yet. His first words are, your sins are forgiven. And, oh, do you hear the people begin to talk? What? This guy can't promise that. He'd have to be God to promise that he could forgive this guy's sins. Who does he, who does he think he is? He's just promised this guy that he could forgive his sins, that his sins are gone. And you know what Jesus does next? This is his MO. Every time Jesus makes a big promise like that, he backs it up. And he looks at the crowd and he sees them whispering and he says, but so that you know that the son of man, me, that I have the power to make that promise to forgive sins. I say to you, now take up your bed, stand up and go home. 
and the guy does. You see, Jesus always backs up his promises. And that's why we know this. Here's what you can write down. If Jesus lives, everything he ever promised will happen. So what's Martha going to do? Her, her brother's dead. Jesus makes a promise. And she knew that Jesus was a trusted confidant, a wise counsel, maybe even a loving friend. But on this day, Jesus asks her to take the relationship to another level. And he does this by, after he makes this promise, that instead of, of asking her about her doubts, he asks her to flip and say, how about the possibility of believing this? That's when he asked, John 11, verse 26, after saying, I'm the resurrection life, do you, Martha, believe this? And Martha knew what he was asking, whether he had the power to back this up. And how did she reply? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And immediately the relationship changed, and it became so much more. And Martha was sharing him with him not only the trust for this life, but the trust for the next life. And that's the way it works with the resurrection. See, the resurrection and God's promise of eternal life goes along. And then at some point, it intersects with our lives. And on this day is when it intersected with Martha's. And she's faced with these life and death circumstances which, which bring out the power of Jesus even more. And that's when she realized that if Jesus lives, everything he said is truth. If Jesus lives, everything he said is truth. And specifically the fact that he is the son of God. He is the savior of the world. He is the one promised for thousands of years. He is the one alone who could be the savior of the world. And Martha believed it. And a few moments later, as, as Jeff said, she, Jesus would back up that claim. Back up that claim with action by raising Lazarus from the dead. But then there's another part, as the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection, it also intersected with the life of the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, after the, these questions about doubt, Paul says, but Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, which means Jesus did, but there's more people who are going to rise after that, and you know what? You're one of them. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And in the blank you can write, If Jesus lives, there is every reason to wait, hope, endure, and live. Jesus lives, there is every reason to wait, hope, endure, and live. Now I'm going to guess if 
some of the Corinthian people who received this letter were here today, they would say, Pastor Dan, we appreciate your message, but we ask you to change your notes. And maybe you can do that as well. Cross out the if and write because. Because Jesus lives, there is every reason to wait, hope, endure, and live. That was a truth that, that, that Martha had, had, had big faith in based on Jesus Christ. And it's the same truth we can believe as well. And the results of that are something that you don't want to miss. Remember, at the start of this, Paul asked them to consider maybe Jesus not rising from the dead and the implications of it. That verse said this way would be said this way. He started by saying, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Because Christ, Christ is raised, your faith is not futile. You are not still in your sins because Christ has taken them away and God has accepted the payment. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are not lost. They're with the Lord now, waiting for a reunion with us forever in heaven. And in this life, if we have faith in Christ and that's all we have, we are not to be pitied. But we are blessed more than any other people because we wait and we hope and we endure and one day we will live. The resurrection, the truth of the resurrection and, and, and parts in the Bible where it shows the intersection with people's lives. Today, it makes an intersection with your life. And Pastor Jeff will, will end and, and share with us what it means for us today. You know what always surprises me? That if we were to think of this life as the space between my thumb and first finger, then the life to come looks like this and far more because it's eternal life. What always surprises me is how much attention we pay to this little sliver of a life that the Bible calls nothing more than a breath and how little attention we pay to this life, eternal life, the life that follows this life. You see, what, what Easter's message is, is there's a wonderful life to come, a life filled with peace and joy and adventure no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering that goes on forever in the presence of our God. And yet, in all the busyness of life and taking care of our, our kids and taking care of our parents and taking care of our, our, our grandkids and, and our business and all of this, we end up focusing here instead of here. You see... When Paul, who was himself initially a skeptic so big that he actually went after Christians to arrest them and kill them, that's how big his doubts were. When he came to realize that it's not about this life anymore, it's far more about this life that our Savior wants to give us, I want, I want you to see what he says. He says that that gives this life a whole new focus. Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. 
Through faith in him, you, you've been given a rebirth. And, and granted, God knows human beings, right? He knows how we are. Even though this life is this and eternal life is that and beyond, we always want to focus right here. And talk about a God that piles grace upon grace. Not only does his forgiveness and his resurrection mean that you all have received through faith in Jesus as your savior this life, Jesus says, I want to give you much, much more right now today too. But it starts with focus. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, on this life. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You can have so much more peace and joy in life if you focus here. Because Jesus is here in heaven. Seated at the right hand of God. In control of everything that happens in your life. Just Give yourselves over to that control. Enjoy letting Jesus be your driver in life and stop trying to do so much controlling and driving yourself. You'll find you have a way better life. Man, I'm telling you, Paul experienced it. And not from looking at outward things. I mean, after Paul became a Christian, dude, he got his butt kicked. He, he went out to, to share the gospel in towns and literally got kicked out. Sometimes people were throwing rocks at him, trying to kill him for sharing Christ with that city or town. He had to travel mile upon mile with his disciples in sharing this. He chose to do that. He endured shipwrecks, Beatings, a two-year arrest. You might say, wow, (laughs) Pastor Jeff, I, I thought you just said life gets better following Jesus. But look at what Paul says. This is why it gets better. Because life is going to dish it out. Let's face it, folks. One thing I cannot stand here and promise to you is that if you become a Christian, life becomes a bed of roses? That's not real. Paul's life was not a bed of roses, but he learned to live by something other than sight. And look at what it did for his confidence. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. Will you underline those words, circle them, star them? We live by faith, not by sight. And because of that, Paul says, and he said it once already, he said, we are always confident. I would recommend you circling those words too, because he says it again in verse eight. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body, away from this life and at home with the Lord in this life. So we make it our goal while we're still here to please him. Whether we are at home in the body, whether we're here, or whether we're here, our purpose is the same. Can I tell you something? The Easter message, yes, it's, it's for here, but it's also for here. And too many of you, too many of you are living in the grave. 
You're living in the grave already, even though you're walking around as if you're alive. Because you're living without hope. You're living without confidence. You're not, you're not confident that you matter to anyone, that anyone considers you valuable. You're not sure that you know what's written on the last page of your story, that your destiny is sealed. Some of you are way more kind and compassionate to others than you ever are to yourselves, exhausting yourself, pouring yourself out constantly, unable to show compassion for yourselves because you believe that you have to strive You believe that you have to some way make up for your guilt and shame. And you haven't heard Jesus claim and promise that you are forgiven and that you are covered by his blood and his grace. Some of you see no possibilities for yourselves. No belief that you could succeed at something. You don't believe in a life that has possibility. You don't believe in a savior that promises that With Christ, all things are possible. And if you're living that life that has very little hope in it, you're you're at least one foot in the grave, if not both feet in the grave. And that's why today's message is so important for you, right here, right now, to give you this, absolutely the most important thing in the world. This is your soul's eternal existence, and that is the message of Easter but also to give you right here, right now, in this little space that you have before you die, a life that is truly life, a life in which you can say, I am always confident because I I live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not by sight. Would you write this down? The more I know about where I'm going to end up, the more confident I am about who I am today. Here it is. And I want want you to hear this loud and clear. Jesus loves you, you, enough to have secured your eternal destiny through his death and resurrection. And because your eternal destiny is secured, your identity is always cemented in. You are a dearly loved child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. His resurrection means your new life. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for sending us Jesus to be our Savior. Thank you that we have not only his death as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, but we have his resurrection as the proof, proof positive that the payment has been accepted, that our sins are forgiven, that our eternal destiny is completely sealed in your hands. Lord, we know your love. We know that you, you have told us plain and clear that we matter to you. We are loved by you. And we are your dear children. Lord, help us as we go forward on this Easter morning to live in that truth, to live by faith in that truth, not by sight. And and to know that the claims of Jesus and the promises of Jesus 
and the resurrection of Jesus are completely real and completely true. Grant that the Holy Spirit may fill the hearts and minds of everyone in this room today through the teaching of the Word, and that anyone with doubts or questions will will come to hear and understand that they have a Savior in Jesus. And we pray this in His name. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Uh, Pastor Dan and I, the entire Crosswalk family, want to thank you for being here today. A reminder to our guests... Please make sure that uh, you stop by the photo booth, not just our guests, anyone who wants to, free family photos. For our guests in particular, don't forget your gift at the Resource Center out on the patio. And also for everyone, today as after every worship service, we have a prayer team. If you would like to be prayed with today following the worship service, just stay in your seats. The prayer team will be down to, to pray with you. Christ is risen, and he is risen indeed. Let's say it together. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And what that means for you is a brand new identity, destiny, purpose, and possibility. We want to help you live in your new identity, destiny, purpose, and possibility. And that's why I'm inviting you to come back for the concert on Saturday or at least next Sunday for the service as we go into the new series, Four Battles We Must Win. We want to help you live in that new identity, destiny, purpose, and possibility. Let me uh, send you home with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.